an Episcopalian priest, a Catholic priest, a Methodist minister, and a Baptist minister. They all went on a hunting trip, this is in the US, and they decided they were going to show their ecumenical trust by confessing their sins to one another. The priest says, well, I must tell you that once in a while I go down in disguise and go to the burlesque show of girls. I just find it helps to relieve my celibacy. The Episcopalian says, well, I just can't help myself. I'm a miser. I just hoard money. The Methodist says, well, about once a month I lock myself in the cellar and get drunk as a skunk. And they all turned to the Baptist and he said, well, my sin is gossip and I can't wait to get back from this trip. (laughs) Or I came across this other story as we think about being Baptists. What does it mean as an expression of our Christianity? I once saw this guy in a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. Are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. Me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist, me too. Northern or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Me too, Northern Liberal, a Conservative Baptist. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region of Council 1912. He said Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said heretic, jump, die. <laughs> <laughs> Cole has spoken to us as we think about this series about the scriptures, the Bible, uh, as the authority for Baptist churches in determining our faith and understanding how we know God. We discover about Jesus of Nazareth through the canon of scripture and we discover that Jesus is the image of God He is the Son of God, and if you want to know who God the Father is, you look at the life of Jesus. And then he went on to talk to us about that we're a gathered church. We are a free church, which means we're free of the state, and we believe that the church and the state should be separate. And we're free to worship God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Baptists understand that we govern ourselves through a local members meeting, a meeting that commissions the ministers and the deacons into servant leadership. The English Baptist movement had its origins as a separatist congregation, and the first congregation began Uh, in Gainsborough, in Lincolnshire, in Nottinghamshire, around 1606. And there was a gentleman called John Smythe, and he was a former Church of England vicar 
who become disillusioned with the parish church. And these people were known as dissenters. And they were forced to flee because of persecution to the Netherlands in 1608. And they baptised one another through a deliberate act of full immersion in obedience to how they understood the New Testament scripture. It was known as believers or credo baptism, baptism by faith rather than a parent on behalf of a child. And in 1609, Smythe and his followers baptised themselves, confessed Jesus as saviour, and then they formed the first congregation in London, 1612, in Spitterfields was the first Baptist church in England. And there were kind of two streams, like, a bit like that story, are you Northern Conservative or Northern Liberal? There were general Baptists, and then there were particular Baptists. And it all goes back to how you see uh, predestination. So general Baptists were kind of known as Armenians, that... Uh, we were called as Christians to offer the gospel to the world and those who will respond will respond. But then the Calvinists would be a particular Baptists who believed there were the elect and uh, you reached out to the elect. Um, you'll be pleased to know the Baptist Union of Great Britain now is blended between the generalists and the particulars. But I want us to think about the fourth hallmark of Baptists, about religious liberty and freedom. And I want to turn to Exodus chapter 3 and read uh, verses 1 to 14 to you. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please would you turn to Exodus chapter 3. And it's the familiar account of the burning bush with Moses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horesh, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jezubites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. 
So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. If we can go to the PowerPoint, please, Stephen. This is a remarkable story, the burning bush. We find Moses, remember, he has killed in defense the Egyptian soldier. He's fled to the desert. His life is seemingly over. And then God calls him at the right time. The fire capture his sight. God captures his heart. And what we discover in this passage is that God sees our suffering. This divine encounter with God is a holy moment. It's life-changing. Moses discovers a God who sees and hears the cries of the Hebrews being persecuted in Egypt. And what we learn from this, friends, and this is a value that's intrinsic within our stream as Baptist churches, is that God is not immune from suffering. He's not remote from it. He sees today the sufferings of the Syrians. He sees the 150 million people like you and me who are Christians, who are being persecuted today across the globe. He sees today the 40 million people, children, women and men, in bonded sexual slavery across our world. God sees the torture, the brutality that no one will ever know. God sees and hears. He sees and hears your cries and my cries. Our little and our major sufferings of the heart. God sees that, friends. And we discover in the Bible that God is passionate about justice and righteousness about the way we treat other human beings. I read to you earlier Isaiah 61 verse 8, I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. And in Amos chapter 5, he's a minor prophet, and verse 7, we read about this. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground, 
who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. He's talking about the corrupt courts that we have around the world. God hates that. You who trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins are. You oppress the righteous and take bribes. You deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as he says he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Or if we go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guide, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. And what we discover in these powerful verses, and in fact the whole grand story of the Bible from Exodus chapter 3, is that the Exodus, remember from slavery in Egypt, is all about escape. Escape from slavery. Escape from today's addictions, escape from false idols and shallow values. What do we need to escape from in our own lives? Christianity, though, is not an escape. It's not into hiding from this world. My own story of coming to faith at 17 years of age without a church background working as a junior clerk in the world's leading commodity-broking company, pushed me into a spiritual quest, and I needed to discover the God who saves, who then strengthens us and goes out with us into the world. We can escape the superficial world where people are summed up by their wealth, their designer clothes, their restaurants and lifestyles, But Christ found me. He turned me inside out to embrace the world, to be ready to love and offer compassion. And what we discover in the grand narrative is God loves people. And you matter to God. Your neighbors matter to God. That's why Jesus died. And it's profoundly true in Baptist theology that people have a right to worship God in their own manner. The old phrase was, let the heathen be a heathen. You can't force someone even into Christian worship. And so religious liberty, freedom, is a core tenet 
of our Baptist theology. God-given freedom. Freedom whether they're Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, atheist. They have a right to live and die even in error as the Bible sees it. Christianity is not a way of forcing people to follow a creed. And we believe passionately this is true. Whoops. Secondly, God gets involved. God says to Moses that he is going to rescue the Hebrews, the Israelites. And the interesting thing is who does God commission? And what is the answer when we see the plight of our world today? It is the church. God calls Moses. He commissions the one who doesn't believe in himself, the one who stutters. God commissions Moses to lead this rescue plan. We discover in 2 Corinthians 5, God uses these jars of clay, us, to get these things done. Some of you may not know, I served for over a decade with International Justice Mission, rescuing people from sex trafficking, from bonded labor, from forced, um, all sorts of evil and dark situations. And what we discover is it's our Isaiah 61 verse that Cole's brought to us as a church about healing the sick, about releasing the captives. This is the mandate of the kingdom. And I want to be part of a church that is looking out, embracing the world. Last year, IJM rescued 3,744 individuals from bonded trafficking and slavery. Now, not all of us can go, but some of us can give financially to support these ministries. Some of us, if not all of us, are called to pray and to intercede. Remember, prayer changes the equation. It changes the constellation, the spiritual atmosphere. And you may be facing something in your life, maybe with your neighbors, maybe even in this church, maybe with your employers, maybe in your family. And prayer can change things. I never forget in South Asia, a police commander who was requested to rescue over 50 men and women from brutal bonded labor, making brick kilns 15 hours a day with children as young as seven or eight in those brick kilns. And he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to confront the owner who was a powerful politician and I'll never forget the team praying whilst our lawyers and investigators were with him, petitioning him. And that man changed his mind and he gave the certificate that a rescue could happen. Prayer changes things. And Exodus is escaping like the children of Israel, wandering in the desert. And we sometimes find ourselves as Christians in the United Kingdom as exiles. Do you remember that psalm? The Boney M song, By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept. The people of God were in exile. They were no longer at home. And sometimes it feels like that to us in the UK, doesn't it? That as Christians, 
We're not at home. We're exiles. Our narrative is no longer respected in the way it was. What was once a Christian nation is now a plurality of beliefs and ideals, where perhaps it's even more respected to be a Druid or a Star Trek fan than a Christian. It's as though we're in Babylon. We feel isolated and on the fringe. And what does God say to us as Christians? He says to us in Jeremiah chapter 29, he says, build your homes, live in those places, invest in the communities, love the stranger, the foreigners, even those with weird beliefs. God is near. He may call you to stand up this week for someone, perhaps a downtrodden colleague, a neighbour who's frightened to pray for a tribe or ethnic group under persecution. We heard last week of a Christian leader of a church in Nigeria who was killed for his faith. Be sensitive to the leading of God, friends. This is a dark and dangerous world that God's put us in. But God gets involved And thirdly and finally, God goes with us. We discover, I am with you. I don't know if many of you have heard the name of Thomas Birchwell. He lived from 1799 to 1846. He was a leading Baptist in Montego Bay, Jamaica. He was called to share the gospel of Christ with the inhabitants in the early 19th century. He was a group of missionaries who went out from London in the response from the African Baptists on the island. He established churches and schools. He saw the brutality of slavery on that island for himself. And he came back, and in in fact, he was part of the William Wilberforce movement. He gave information to Wilberforce and Gainsborough about the atrocities of how human beings were treated by the powerful. And he came back and was part of the abolition movement. And he was credited with creating what was called free villages. So once the emancipation came, what were these people supposed to do? And so through the British Baptist churches, they funded land um, in Jamaica so that Uh, crops could be grown. This gentleman was part of his congregation, was a deacon, and Samuel Sharp was a great abolitionist who lost his life for opposing the state in Jamaica. Birchall was an amazing man who did great things. Or I can take you to a contemporary friend of mine, Benedict Rogers, who set up Hong Kong Watch, uh, has been deeply involved in the church freedom, Christian freedom initiatives through Christian solidarity worldwide in Burma, in Nepal, and places like that, in Korea. And now he's advocating in the Westminster Parliament, and they've banned him from travelling to Hong Kong. Um, And he's a man of a contemporary Wilberforce, who's standing up for religious liberty. Pray for him. 
he quotes this verse, misunderstanding now Jesus to the cross. If one does not risk being misunderstood, one will never say anything at all. Martin Niemöller was a German pastor, and during the Second World War he said, if you do not voice for the voiceless, eventually they will come for you. And we need to be those who speak up and stand up for those who are oppressed. There is a cost. I saw the film 1917 last week, the story of great bravery in the First World War. I don't know if you've seen the older movie, it's about four years old, based on a true story of Desmond Dodds, I think it was, Hacksaw Bridge, a Christian man who was a, um, a conscientious objector, but became a medic um, and rescued men on the field uh, in the, the Southeast Asia, in the Japanese front. Man of great faith, a man who made a difference. This is the church we are part of. The English nonconformist preacher Philip Henry said, He is no fool who parts with that which he cannot keep when he is sure to be recompensed with that which he cannot lose. Or you may remember in 1953, it was January 1953, when these five American Christians died for their faith led by Jim Elliott to the Orca people in Ecuador to bring the gospel to them. And this very violent tribe killed each one of them and birthed a new church in Ecuador. We may too feel like there are valleys and hills of life, but Martin Luther King says to us, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Remember, friends, whatever happens to us this week, we dwell in the shadow of the Almighty God. We abide in his shadow. I will say to the Lord, says the psalmist, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. May we be a people who defend the freedoms of others. May we be a people who take our faith and it gets legs, and it brings the gospel to the rest of the world. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your call and your intervention supremely through Jesus Christ. You are not remote, but you are desperately involved. We thank you for this church and its heritage. And we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the gathering of the believers, the members meeting, for freedom of conscience. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we might be those who bring freedom this week. Not only freedom from sin, but freedom from the effects of sin that shackles others in slavery or religious persecution or marginalization. May we be those who have a voice for our brothers and sisters, even for our neighbours and strangers. Lord, we ask you fill us with our, your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
we stand to 